We're looking to today, uh, uh, carrying on our journey through the book of Acts, and we've got it all the way up to Acts chapter 9. So uh, if you'd like to turn with me in uh, uh, your pew Bibles, page 1040, and we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 9, first 22 verses of it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful story of uh, how you intervene in people's lives. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this word now, you would speak to us. 
you would bring these words to life through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for you to interpret the truths in your word, that we might be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. What's your story? I wonder if, um, for the older ones of you uh, amongst us, if uh, Eamon Andrews or maybe the younger ones, Michael Aspel, came up with that big red book and said to you, this is your life. I wonder what would be contained within that book. Different people have different reactions uh, on that uh, TV program. I don't know if it's still going. I don't think it is. But uh, some are horrified and shocked and... uh, um, all kinds of embarrassing things and uh, are kind of uh, unearthed. And for some, it's a really moving time as, uh, as they recall uh, the people who have influenced their lives. But I wonder what your story is, particularly in relation to your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Maybe for some of you, like Ralph uh, mentioned before, been walking with the Lord for many tens of years. We've got great stories to tell of God's faithfulness. Maybe for some of you, you're just starting on that journey. We've only just started to work out what that story is. Now, I've sometimes heard people, when they're asked to give their testimony about their story of their relationship, they kind of say a little bit embarrassed that, oh, well, my testimony's not that great, you know. It's not like kind of a road to Damascus experience. I didn't see flashing lights and I didn't hear voices and all that kind of stuff. And they're almost a little bit embarrassed about their testimony. And they say, do you know what? If only God had met me in the kind of way that he met Saul... That would have made such a difference to my life. I would have had so much more faith, so much more confidence in what God could have done. But I'd like to suggest that no matter what your story, no matter how dramatic it might appear to be, if you have gone on that journey from not knowing Jesus to coming to a deep relationship, knowing Jesus as your personal saviour, that is the most incredible story in the whole world. No matter what went on in the middle, the very fact that you've gone from death and darkness to eternal life and in a relationship with the living God, what does it matter what goes on in the middle? whether it's flashing lights or voices from heaven, it's the most incredible story. What's my story? Well, I'm going to share my story with you. Some of you may have heard it before. I was fortunate enough to be brought up in a Christian family. Both my mother and my father were uh, very strong Christians, I was born uh, way down south. Some of you might think that I'm a Geordie, and I am uh, in heart, but actually I was born in Exeter, would you believe? I'm a real southerner, a yokel. Um, But uh, I was born into a Christian family, and uh, 
uh, went, was taken to a Baptist church in Exeter as, as a kid and uh, taken through um, Sunday school and uh, taught the uh, uh, stories of the Bible. And I am so grateful to my parents and the wider family for their prayers for me as an individual. At the age of six, I was lying in bed and I suddenly had this overwhelming feeling of just how bad a person I was. Of how much I needed God. And you might think, well, what do you know at the age of six? But I really believe God met me. As I lay in bed, and I prayed to him that he would do something in my life. Now, I couldn't possibly understand the deep meaning of, of the Bible. I couldn't really understand what I prayed there, could I, at six? But I believe at that point on, from that point on, God changed my life. And I kind of continued to grow up and went to church and um, learned more about God and learned about the Bible. And, you know, it wasn't always an easy ride, I have to say. I got ribbed at school, as I'm sure uh, most young people do. Uh, when they uh, um, profess to have a Christian faith. And it was at the age of late 15 that I went to a crusader camp. Um, and uh, it was a crusader camp that was uh, in um, um, Cleveland, kind of North Yorkshire, Cleveland area. And uh, fantastic camp, um, great kind of teaching, great fellowship, but I began to appreciate there, and I think God spoke to me again about who his Holy Spirit was and how he wanted to um, kind of fill and kind of equip and, and release me um, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that was a kind of next milestone on my belief as I really prayed that God's Spirit would, would work in me. And pretty much straight after that camp, I... I felt, right, time to be baptized now. <laughs> so I, uh, I was baptized and uh, kind of gave my testimony. And uh, what a fantastic experience that was. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. And since being baptized at, uh, at early 16, again, um, kind of it's been a bit of a roller coaster. You know, sometimes it's been uh, um, really great to walk with God, and sometimes it's been a real challenge. And uh, going to university, for me, was a, um, a real interesting time where my faith was tested, but um, I feel really strengthened as a result of deeply searching um, the scriptures to find out what God's plans and what God's purposes were. And I think I learned more um, during that time um, than at probably any other time in uh, kind of really seeking the mind of God. And, uh, you know, life's, as for all of us, I guess, full of ups and downs as we, as we go through life. But I can testify that God has never let me down. Through all that time, he's been faithful. So that's my story. 
Um, lots of other details in between. And I'm sure you've all got other um, uh, stories very different. But I want to look at this account in Acts and understand what this passage is telling us about the importance of that story and the key points of that story and what makes that story a transition from death to life. And we're going to be looking at Saul's story. Now, um, some of you will know a little bit about Saul from what we've um, um, kind of previously learnt in, in other weeks. Now, Saul, um, by his own description in the book of Acts, um, is from the Jewish tribe of Benjamin. Um, he said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to Mosaic law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, he was persecuting the Christian church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Right? Here was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He knew the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, inside out. There is nothing, I guess, that you could have told Paul about the Old Testament that he didn't know. He knew every law. He knew all the laws of the Bible, and then he knew all the ones that man had made up around the Bible that were all kind of um, superfluous and unnecessary. But he was zealous for that law. Zealous means that he wanted to follow that law to the absolute letter. Whether he did or not, I don't know, but... um, he felt that anybody that didn't follow the law, they were against God, and they needed dealing with ever so severely. Here was a man who thought he understood the law. He was absolutely sincere in his beliefs, but he was sincerely wrong. Absolutely sincere, but sincerely wrong. And God met with him, in the form of the incarnate Jesus to point out the error of his ways. And Saul then went on a journey that we're going to be looking at here. We're going to be looking at a journey that describes the process of new birth. This wonderful process And uh, the key points are there, but I'm going to talk you through each one of them. And I want you to see how these resonate with your story. First of all, we need to be convicted by Jesus. Saul, on that road to Damascus, was convicted by Jesus. Jesus met him. I really believe that age six, lying in my bed, I was convicted by Jesus. Convicted that I would know what was wrong with my life and that it needed dealing with. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that Saul felt that he had it all right. But 1 Corinthians says, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Saul thought he understood what God wanted through his laws. But his human interpretation, his human wisdom, was foolishness to God. And what did Jesus challenge him on the road? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
You see, Saul thought he was persecuting the Christians. He thought he was persecuting those who were, in his eyes, not going according to the law of God. But Jesus said, in persecuting these people, you're persecuting me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's interesting, isn't it, that when individuals in the body of Christ are persecuted, it's persecuting Jesus himself. So all that we hear of these terrible regimes of, uh, of persecution, that's persecution not against individuals, but against Jesus himself. And maybe that's a lesson for us to learn as a church when perhaps we don't disagree on everything. Maybe perhaps we point out very pointedly why we don't like certain things or uh, we'd be happier if we did things the other way. Let's just remember that we're the body of Christ. And then when we disagree, not maybe openly persecute, but when we uh, uh, are not particularly happy with one another, actually we're doing that to Jesus. Because we're all, if we believe in him, the body of Christ. The second thing I would point out, that Jesus convicts us of the fact that the things that we do are not any good to him. They have no currency. What's my uh, proof for that? Isaiah 64, 6 says, When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. When we do the best things we can, thinking that we're doing good things, in God's eyes, they're nothing better than filthy rags. Well, that's uh, sobering, isn't it? If we think that we're kind of doing good things and uh, helping people and what have you. Actually, God doesn't want that. What God wants is submission to him and service because of that submission and that love to him. Saul was doing things in his wisdom, which was foolishness. He thought he was doing good things, but they were filthy rags in God's sight. Saul thought he knew better but he was persecuting Jesus. Now, some people think that the road to Damascus experience was when Saul was converted, when he became a Christian. I would suggest that he did not become a Christian at that point of time. That was just Jesus convicting him. Why do I say that? Well, think what happened to him. Saul became blind. We need to recognize before we become Christians that actually we're blind. We know nothing. We need to recognize that we're sinners, we're dead in sin, we're blind, we know nothing. What time was it when Saul had this experience? If you look ahead to Acts chapter 22, when um, Saul gives his account to uh, um, some of the, uh, the other teachers in the synagogue. He says, in his own words, that it was about noon when Jesus met him on the road. Now, cast your minds back. When else did it go dark at about noon? When Jesus was on the cross. It went dark. When Jesus was going through that transaction to save us, 
How long was Saul blind for? Three days. Get the picture? How long was Jesus in the tomb? Three days. This is highly symbolic of the process that Jesus went through in redeeming us and Paul went through that same process, I think, as a symbolism of the importance of the steps of conversion. The fact that, first of all, we need to be convicted, we need to recognize that we are blind and we are dead in sin and there's nothing that we can do about it. The next step is that Saul had to be led to Jesus. Who was it that did the leading? Ananias. Now, it's not the same Ananias as the Ananias and Sapphira, because we know that they both uh, uh, perished for their disobedience. But Ananias was told to go and effectively lead Saul to Christ. Now, notice the difference between Ananias' hearing the voice of Jesus and Saul hearing the voice of Jesus. Saul said when he heard the voice, Who are you, Lord? Ananias said, yeah, what is it, Lord? (laughs) Ananias knew the voice of the shepherd. He recognized it. Saul did not. He needed to be told who was speaking with him. And to use, uh, to borrow a phrase from Mark Instone, it's sheep that make sheep. And it was Ananias, one of the disciples, who was instructed to lead Saul and make another sheep. So part of the process is that we as Christians have a responsibility to help lead others to Christ. That's the Great Commission, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name. Third step that's required is submission to Jesus and repentance. Saul spent three days praying. He did what Jesus told him, go to this certain place and wait. He did that. He submitted. And he allowed Ananias to come, and I don't know what went on in the conversation, but for Ananias to lead him to that faith and to repent. And what was the reaction when, or what happened when Ananias met with him and prayed with him and laid hands on him? First of all, he could see again. It's that point, I think, is the point that Saul received new life. Because it says he could see and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the mark of a Christian. So just as, after three days, Jesus rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin and death, so in the same way, Paul, after three days of praying and three days of being blind and aware of his sinful state, he was released to new life by the filling of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful symbol. What a wonderful story. And what did he do in response? Straight away, he was baptized. No hanging about here baptized. Again, fulfilling the commission that Jesus gives, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in my name. Why is baptism important? 
It's not going to be a baptism class, but first of all, Jesus was baptized. Good role model. Secondly, he told us to be baptized. Good thing to do. Follow Jesus' instructions. Third thing, it is highly symbolic of all the story that has gone on. When we baptize people, they go down into the water, symbolizing death to their old self. In the water, it's a symbolism of being buried with Christ, spending, if you like, that uh, time uh, in the tomb. Then up out of the water, raised to new life in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, equipped to do his job. That's the story. (laughs) That's what Jesus asks for us. Raised to new life in the Spirit, then baptized. But of course, it's no good then just carrying on your old life, is it? Saul had to change. He couldn't then go back and uh, persecute and kill Christians. But what did he do? Well, first of all, he got up and had some, something to eat. He was fed. And I think that's quite symbolic of the need for new Christians to be fed with the Word of God. We need to immerse ourselves in the Bible so that we can understand God's plans and purposes. That's why I'm so excited personally about Bible Study Fellowship um, coming here because that's going to be a great opportunity for people really to um, delve into the truth of the Scripture, to be fed real deep stuff. But of course, Saul already knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. The difference was, this time... It was the Holy Spirit in him interpreting the words, helping him to understand. And allowing him, once he'd been fed and uh, kind of nourished and regained his strength, immediately to go out and instead of persecuting Christians, preaching Christ crucified. (laughs) What an incredible change. That's a change that can only come by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit showing him that the things he sincerely but sincerely wrongly believed in the past could now be translated into the wonderful truths of the richness of God's grace and his love. And what does it say when people heard what Saul was saying? It said they were dumbfounded (laughs) at how he was arguing the truths about Jesus. All of a sudden, the human wisdom, his Saul's own understanding had been translated from stupidity in God's eyes to God's absolute wisdom and truth. Fantastic. I wonder, how does that process of new birth stack up against your story? Have you experienced that conviction? Did you have somebody lead you to Jesus and explain who This person, God in skin, as it were, was. Did you submit to him? Did you repent? Did you pray that prayer? Were you determined through the help of the Holy Spirit to put your old self to death? And as a result, were you raised to new life and having the Holy Spirit fill your life and equip you? Have you been baptized? As a testimony of that death, burial, and resurrection to new life. And are you growing? Are you feeding? Are you transforming your minds and, uh, and your bodies to the way that Jesus wants? That's the way the story's meant to be. 
That's why I think the story in Acts is given to us in so much detail because that's the normal birthing way. That's what God wants of us if we submit to him. So I now want to talk briefly about God's wonderful plan. Because throughout this story, and I think throughout the whole book of Acts, we can see God's hand at work in a wonderful plan. And I wonder if you look at your stories, whether you can see God's hand at play, God's plan being unfolded. I think for me, certainly, I can see times in my life when at the time it might have seemed a bit uncertain or what am I doing here or why on earth am I doing that? But in hindsight, you can see absolutely the plan and the purpose that God had. Even things like when my father died, you know, at at that time it might have seemed a dreadful thing. But in hindsight, I can see how God used that and brought glory to his name as a result of that. I can see when times that I felt like the weight of the world is sometimes on my shoulders. But looking back, I can see actually how God has has carried me through that. God has a wonderful plan and a purpose. And so he did for Saul, who, as you will know, um, not only had his life changed, but had his name changed as well to Paul. And we'll see how Paul went from being a persecutor, a killer, a murderer of Christians to the most influential of uh, the, uh, the early uh, Christians, wrote significant proportion of the, uh, of the New Testament, helped through God's Holy Spirit change countless lives. Isn't it funny that God chooses the most unlikely people? You know, you'd think that Saul a murderer, um, a persecutor, a very dangerous person, a person who had influence even to go and get letters from the high priest to justify his own actions, you wouldn't think he was prime candidate number one for God to use in his plan, would you? You wouldn't think that Moses, a murderer, was a prime candidate for God to use in his plans. You wouldn't think that David, an adulterer, was a prime candidate for God to use in his plans. And yet God does. (laughs) He uses the most unlikely people, transforms them, molds them, and uses them for his purpose. So I don't know what your story is. Maybe you think, God can never use me. Well, hate to disappoint you. But if he can use Paul, if he can use Moses, if he can use David, if he can use, uh, you know, the most uh, um, far away people from, uh, from God's laws to uh, uh, be part of his plan, then he can use you. Now, God's plan's not always clear. When Saul was convicted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, God only t- Jesus only told him the next step of the plan. 
He only told him to go to this place and wait for a man called Ananias. That's all he was told. He wasn't told that he was going to be, um, uh, you know, a great preacher, anything like that. And it's often the case, I think, that when God speaks to us and shows us his plan, he only gives us just enough. Just enough that we should step out in faith and say, okay, I don't really know, God, what you want here, but I'm going to do it. God wants that submission. He wants that humility to rely on him, not on our own strength. Saul had worldly sincerity. He was brought to a point of godly submission. The other thing is that God's plan A might be our plan B or C or D. It's often the case that God asks us to do things that weren't originally part of our agenda. And that causes a problem, doesn't it? Because we say, well, no, I, I really need to kind of do this. This is, this is where I feel my heart is. And we could end up missing out so much because we're following what our plan A is, not what God's plan A is. Now, it could have been really easy for Ananias to say, when he was uh, asked by Jesus to go and meet with uh, Saul, you're having a laugh, aren't you? I'm not going to go and meet that guy. I'll get killed. He's just out to persecute people. It's easy for us to be frightened by the plans that God have for, has for us. Because we might say, I could never do that, or that's crazy. But actually, if we're walking in God's ways, according to his plan, then he will work it through. But our obedience is required first. If Ananias hadn't been obedient and hadn't gone and led Saul to that knowledge of Jesus, I wonder what would have happened. I'm sure God would have had another plan, but maybe we'd have missed out so much. I wonder if Saul had not been obedient to that first instruction that he had and instead... Um, just moped around for the rest of his life in darkness, in blindness, in self-pity. God wants us to follow his plans, his purposes. He wants us to be obedient. But part of that obedience is to go back to that last step of the process of new birth, transformation. Saul had to completely turn his life around. We have to completely turn our lives around. It is no good us going through that process of new birth and then not changing. That's not new birth at all. God wants us to be transformed in our minds and in our bodies. He wants us to be truly convicted of those things that are not according to his plans and purposes. And it's only with all the ingredients that conviction I'll go back to the list there that submission, that repentance that putting old self to death that new life in the spirit 
the baptism, the growth, and the transformation. It's only with all those steps that our story can genuinely be complete. So for me, that's why, no matter what your story is, if you've gone through those steps and you've been uh, raised to life in Jesus, I would say your story is equally as miraculous as that experienced by Saul. Because it's a story that takes you from death to life, a journey that you could never make in your own strength. You can only make through the power of of the saving uh, uh, Jesus Christ. A wonderful story. Praise be to our Saviour Jesus, the one who is before all, who is in all. He can take the worst of sinners and transform them to everlasting righteousness in him. Amen.